This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing, now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG 13. Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama, is back, along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. Watch new episodes of Grey's Anatomy Thursdays at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Hello everyone, I'm Jinx Monsoon, and welcome to a brand new episode of Hi Jinx with me, Jinx Monsoon. Today, my guest is Dave Lara, who you will remember as my veteran on season five of Drag Race, who has recently um, come into everyone's minds once more, um, thanks to, I, I don't know, I guess Judy Garland brought him up in a in an episode of television recently, but we talk about his history in the military as a queer person and his role he played in the early gay rights movements in San Francisco. We talk about all kinds of things today, and I have to say, Dave is so entertaining, so sweet, and a complete wild card. You never know what he's going to say next. I hope you enjoy this really lovely conversation with my friend Dave today on a brand new episode of Hi Jinx. So buckle up, hunker down, and sink your teeth into some new Hi Jinx. M. Oh. M. Mom. everyone, I'm Jinx Monsoon, and welcome to Hi Jinx, a podcast where I, an internationally tolerated drag superstar, get to interview compelling and fascinating people about how they became who they are and why they do what they do. Today we are joined by a very special person who made a guest appearance in my Judy Garland Snatch Game, as well as helped me make it to the final round of RuPaul's Drag Race Season 5. He is a veteran and an author. Please welcome Dave Lara. Hi, Hi Dave. Dave. Hi, <laughs> so good to see you. I can't believe that we're doing this uh, after what, a, what I would consider a very exciting start to the All-Star season that you're part of. It's just so cool. Are you still, do you still keep up with Drag Race? Do you watch every episode? <laughs> not, not actually, not a lot. Uh, in, in the past, you know, after I got off the show, I watched it for a couple of years, but then I mm-hmm. kind of dropped off. Uh, but for sure, now I'm watching a lot and <laughs> I'm just amazed by your 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 performance. Uh, what was I going to say? I was going to say something catty. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yes. As I see you. Doing all that you do, I still wonder, when are you going to get a real job? <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I think about this a lot, um, but I have a degree in theater. So I basically, you know, I'm I'm basically a doctor of crayons. I um yeah. I, I I've thought about like, wow, if I ever stopped performing, I don't know what's in line next for me. If I can't get a teaching job somewhere where they find me credible, then (laughs) Then I don't know. One of the things uh, that I've seen as far as being an old man and watching uh, uh, drag ever since I was a a little sailor uh, (laughs) is that I've always felt that it was a, quote, legitimate theater. It Mm. is acting, it is performing, it is all of those things. And I think you, uh, when you talk to me, uh, about your journey 
that was what I really realized that you are studied. And um, yeah. I, I, yeah, I think of you people now as Hollywood, you know, uh, the <laughs> Hollywood actor, personified, exactly personified. <laughs> so, uh, no, it's great to, to, uh, to see that you've turned it into a legitimate and legitimate, <laughs> uh, uh, endeavor. Um, yeah, well, every drag queen is like um, a full Broadway production, um, yeah. a one a one team, a one person team working on a full Broadway production, and the production is the queen. Um, I want to know how did you and what was uh, casting like when you appeared on season five? You know, they brought in veterans. Um, for us to make over for our makeover challenge on season five. And I want to know, like, what led you to uh, answering that call? How did you end up in the workroom with me on season five? I am a uh, media whore, and I spell that <laughs> H-O-R-R-O-R. Uh, so when they, they called me... Uh, I think I've claimed that I, I recruited all the veterans. That's a lie. Uh, but they did call me, the, one of the producers, because they knew they, they'd see me in the background in the veteran community to find a couple of the Afghan uh, Iraq vets that I was mm. in contact with. Um, so I only found them enough to leave one slot open and, oh. because I wanted to get on. They thought I was a little too old, which I was. But uh, I proved to them that I could uh, I could carry the carry my part to be on the show with you. So they um, yeah they they actually did a little bit of a um, interview before they mm -hmm. gave me the slot. So I had to audition for the damn show. Um, <laughs> but it was cool. It was cool. I didn't know you had helped um, help them find all the other veterans or some of the other veterans. Yeah, yeah. They they called me because of uh, some new stuff I had done recently. So you actually have a history of working in TV and film. You, um, yeah. I mean, we know you most recently from. Drag Race. You were also on season six in the audience for the comedy challenge. And then I remember the day that I started getting text messages from everyone um, with pictures of you on Wheel of Fortune, which is very topical as we just did the Wheel of Fortune ball. Um, <laughs> oh my God. Did, but, you, uh, did you see Vanna White without her makeup? No, no. Shocking. I did. Shocking. She's, oh my god. She's as magical as you queens are. <laughs> well, um so but before before your stints on reality TV and game shows, um you've worked in behind uh, you've worked behind the scenes in TV and film for a while. What are some of your favorite projects you worked on? Uh god in the olden days, I had a legitimate job, but I also was connected to the Hollywood set here in LA. So I did a uh, sequel uh, to uh, Carrie uh, with Piper Laurie, Stuart Whitman, whatever. And I was a set dresser on that movie. Uh, it was called Blood Ruby. That was the working title. Mm -hmm. It never made it. It was a piece of crap, probably the worst <laughs> thing ever made. And it only showed in France. Of course. Uh, <laughs> probably the weirdest was I was a, um, my pay stub said wardrobe girl. I was a wardrobe <laughs> girl on the TV show Captain and Tennille. Oh, mm. God. I hated her music and her, and her husband <laughs> was obnoxious. And I hope this doesn't go out into Las Vegas where they live. But anyway, <laughs> I worked on that show, uh, uh, gluing sequence on damn tennis shoes and having uh Tenille walk in all naked because she had no respect for me <laughs> <laughs> you know this is um this is very much the dave i knew on season five um because you really are you're very sassy dave do you get that a lot <laughs> i do unfortunately it's not looking pretty at my age 
Oh, hush. <laughs> you know, I always say I want to just keep getting older and older because I think the older you get, the more you get to just, um, you, the more you get to just say how you're actually feeling. You yeah, know? <laughs> that's my problem. All right. Problem. <laughs> um, when we were on season five together, um, so. I was totally embarrassed because the day that they brought y'all in, um, we had to do that like mini boot camp. Oh and we God, were wearing those. I know. <laughs> we were wearing those giant breastplates and, um, or they weren't even breastplates. They were just like, just giant boobs and giant bras. And we all had to work out. I was sweaty. I was uncomfortable. I was sore. Um, and then they bring in all all the veterans, and um, you you confessed to me that some of the other veterans were saying things like, oh, I hope I don't get that one because I yeah, looked yeah. so crazy. <laughs> yeah, you were, uh, yeah, they really thought that you were crazy, you know, that you were maybe having to be on a psychotropic drugs or something. So I loved it when I got you. <laughs> Well, I wasn't on any psychotropic drugs, but that's not the first time that people just assume I'm crazy because of whatever my hair is doing in the moment. But it did make me it did make me very appreciative um, that we had gotten paired up uh, because I don't want to be with anyone who who judges someone by how they look after they work out. Uh, I yeah. said it on the episode, and I'll say it again: I get ugly when I work out. <laughs> Yeah, no, and I totally saw, I totally understood why you guys looked that way, because they told us, I think, in, in the back, that the, the girls have just worked out, so watch out, they'll stink, or something like that. <laughs> it was weird. Well, there was, um, uh, it was very, it was a very competitive atmosphere for that yeah. week. Um, you know, it was the top five and we were dwindling down and I remember you know it was essentially another design challenge for me some of the other girls had brought costumes that they that already matched and I had nothing um for us to wear and we had to make your caftan <laughs> you know what? That was beautiful, though, in the end. It was absolutely gorgeous. So uh, you did we well. We pulled it together. I, for, the, for the gang that's watching, um, uh, I worked on it only a short time with you. <laughs> I, I want to make sure they understand that uh, they moved us off. I don't remember what they were doing with us at the time. But you stayed late to get that done. And I really appreciate that you spent the time there to make me look good because otherwise <laughs> I would have been like with the twirling thing and dropping my skirt in the middle of the runway. <laughs> um, what I do remember though is I think um, we made the turban and um, I asked you, do you like this turban? Do you like the idea of wearing this turban um, for the look? And I think you said, yeah, yeah, that's great. And then at the end of the day, when you took off the turban, you were like, oh, I'm so glad to take this off. I hate it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it was sweaty and horrible. Uh, it was, you know, all part of the whole thing was that you would have to beat my face with a sponge because my face kept sliding off from the sweat <laughs> and my saggy face wouldn't hold the makeup. So oh, it was, well, it was you... a, the head part was a struggle for listen, you. <laughs> listen, I have seen some queens. <laughs> Your face was nothing compared to some of the war stories I have from <laughs> my years in track. But um, I didn't even mean to make a segue, but I. <laughs> but let's talk about your time in the military. You were in the U.S. Navy, and you actually you signed on for the Navy um, by choice, uh, and you were hoping to escape um, being sent to Vietnam, right. but that's not what happened. You ended yeah. up going to Vietnam after all. Yeah. 
Yeah, I joined the Navy when I was 17, so I was very naive, but I, I knew that I didn't want to go on the ground, so the Navy, you know, ships. Yeah. Um, but when I got to boot camp, they asked me if I had done any volunteer work while I was in the high school, and I had worked at the L.A. Uh, General Hospital as a the first male candy striper in the history <laughs> of, of a candy striper. And once I said that, the uh, the man who was divvying up the jobs in boot camp said, you're going to be a corpsman. And I go, okay, whatever. And they, it's sort of like a nurse, not a doctor, definitely bedpan washer. And I didn't know at that time that the Marines were part of the Navy. That's how dumb I was. And that they didn't have a medical corps. And so they take the Navy hospital corpsman into combat with them. And that was a shock to me, because when I finished core school, I immediately got orders to go to Vietnam. Okay. Um, I'll I'll say my my grandfather was in Vietnam as well, and mm -hmm. so um, I can't. I think he was a captain or a general. Um, he came back with lots of stories and I didn't, you know, it, it wasn't until I was older that I started to hear um, just, you know, how traumatic that experience was and not just, um, you know, not just being there, but then coming home from that war, you know, it, it just everything about it sounds like an absolute mess. And, um, and then you had the added layer of also um, being gay in the military at a time where that wasn't a thing. <laughs> so <laughs> before Don't Ask, Don't Tell, before I don't even know where we're at, you know, like uh, uh, Trump was uh, banning even. trans people from the military. We just, it's such an ebb and flow with the military and progress and, and uh, acceptance, and you were you were there way before the conversation was even being had about how to um, how to integrate. <laughs> integrate, Integrated. yeah. Integrated. I mean, I know so little about the military, but I all I I know what I know about you know oh, queer activism and and queer rights and stuff. But um, what was it like having? that yeah. kind of layer on top of everything else that was going on with that war. Yeah, since there wasn't a uh, modern gay rights concept at that point, there was a small group called the Mattachine Society, uh, but they hadn't made any impact yet on, uh, on society or those of us that identified in the alphabet spectrum. Um, so there was a lot of, it's embarrassing to admit, but there's a lot of self-loathing and self-hate. And uh, I had to struggle with that in the military because it's compounded in the military in that it is illegal to be me. It was illegal to, to for me to exist. And there were laws that were in place that if you were caught, you'd get 19 months in federal prison and dishonorable and all of that. So, um, I really struggled. And, and in fact, I probably sabotaged a really good opportunity uh, in the military by um, finally just being so scared and the witch hunt was on and my name was brought up and I was taken to, uh, to, to the authorities to answer that I uh, attempted suicide. Mm -hmm. At that point, they stopped their proceeding against me and uh, gave me a uh, less than honorable discharge. Mm -hmm. um, it was tough, girl, it was really tough. But do you know what, that, that actually caused me to join the vanguard of the gay rights movement. So yeah. I will take credit for one, <laughs> not killing Judy Garland, for one, <laughs> starting the gay rights movement, because me and all of those old other ones like me, that's what started it. And many times they would uh, discharge us in, to Treasure Island, which is an island off of uh, the city of San Francisco, and they would just push you out the door there. You couldn't go home because they already told your parents that you were being discharged for being uh, a, a degenerate. 
So we just stayed in San Francisco. And that's, I think, how San Francisco grew to be to what it is or was in those days. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. What was life like after um, discharge from the military? I did really well. I uh, I did really well. What I did was I compartmentalized. I totally shut down and I forgot everything about Vietnam and about how I was treated uh, mm-hmm. for being gay. And I began to just do solid work. I couldn't get a job at first because of my bad discharge. So I became a janitor. Hey, we have something in common. <laughs> toilets at Pacific Bell. And then I got an opportunity to test for a fairly high level job uh, at Pacific Bell. And I just grew from there. I retired making a whole lot of money as a telecommunications engineer. But one thing I will say that during all of that time, uh, except for maybe the first couple of years getting my feet, I then began to let everyone know that I was gay. And at mm-hmm. work, you know, at, a, at an executive level, they actually let me come in just slightly. It was the era of, um, uh, you know, getting minorities in, Mexicans, Blacks. So it was all of that. They weren't giving us the jobs, by the way. We really had to work for them. And um, I did really well. So I hid all of that Vietnam stuff until I lost my job in uh, uh, during 9-11. Mm-hmm. Uh, the company I was working with, we had some people in one of the towers. And so at that point, the uh, company had to get rid of some employees. And so I left. I got a good package, but I also started to experience really, really bad PTSD. Yeah. Um, you mentioned um, uh, minorities. You are um, from a Mexican Jewish family. Um, and your parents were um, immigrants to America, yes? No, they were actually born here, but they oh. are part of that sea of uh, Latinos that uh, colonized California before the, mm-hmm. uh, the the westward push of those that landed in Plymouth Rock. So my family actually generates here in the original uh, Mexican, uh, it wasn't a part of Mexico, but it was a protectorate uh, of California. And so they had always been in the farming community of Salinas Valley. And mm. so that's where I was born. I was born in a weird place called Castroville, which is mm. the artichoke capital of the world. Oh, you the artichoke, artichoke capital. Anywhere, <laughs> that's where they come from. Um, what, uh, so... PTSD set in later. Um, did you have help with that? Were you supported with that in in any way? Um, you know, the conversation about mental health and mental illness. Sorry, goddamn motorcycles driving past my house. The conversation about mental health and mental illness um, is is you know still relatively new in mainstream society you know i like you know i'm younger than you but i grew up with the the mentality that any mental health issues you're dealing with is something you deal with on your own and you deal with privately and um if if you're having any huge issues you know Basically, there's two labels. You're either a sane, healthy person or you're a crazy person. And I, it wasn't until later in life that I started learning all the nuances and the spectrum of, you know, mental health struggles that so many people deal with just as a circumstance of being alive in this <laughs> fucking messed up world. That's 
What kind of support did you have? Or did you have to kind of carve out your own support for dealing with your PTSD? I'm going to give you a history lesson here. I'll try and make it quick. Um, <laughs> it was better to be a uh, despised minority, the alphabet people, uh, mm. because we really coalesced together. Obviously, yeah. the, the AIDS crisis is one example where you can see. But before that, in the 70s, uh, there were groups, unfortunately, it was men, because we didn't go all the way across the alphabet. In L.A. and in San Francisco, there were gay uh, psychiatrists, psychologists that had formed a committee. I don't think it was nationwide. I think it was just in California of getting together groups of men to talk about and get, get rid of the damage that was done by society. People mm -hmm. don't know about it. I don't even remember the name of the of the uh, of the, the, the event or the uh, the. Uh, whatever it's called. Yeah. Anyway, and it wasn't an event. I mean, it was years and years and years of time. I spent at least three years in one of the groups uh, undoing slowly all the damage that was done. So when I got PTSD, it was easy for me then to go and find some help. Uh, I at first um, took a while to find a, a doctor that, that could help me. I kept getting these doctors that didn't understand what what I as a gay person and a combat veteran was experiencing. And uh, I would be put into angrier management groups and then I'd be kicked out because I was too angry. Mm. Anyway, uh, <laughs> oh in Los Angeles, I found a gay practitioner at the VA. Mm -hmm. And he told me, totally took me under the wing. And he put me on uh, on tranquilizers first, just to calm me down because I was a mess. Yeah. This was about two years before you and I met. Oh, and wow. then uh, and then we did a thing called uh, prolonged exposure, where I relive an experience over and over again for like six months. It was horrible. And then after that, I was put into a, uh, a two month training program uh, twice a week on mindfulness a meditation mm -hmm. practice. Mm -hmm. And that got me to a quiet place where I was able to exist without striking out. I lost my partner, uh, you know, of a long time. I mean, uh, there was a lot of stuff that happened. So it was easy for me to get the, the help I needed because I was open to it. And then by searching, I found a practitioner that helped me completely. So when I walked in, I was at least controlled when I met you. I will say, though, having the experience with RuPaul's Drag Race and specifically you, you guys changed my life. You know, well, I, th I, I appreciate that sentiment and I'm so glad to hear it was such a positive experience for you. But, you know, you also have to take the credit that you know, it was... People oftentimes say that RuPaul's Drag Race helps them so much and I like to remind them that they had that power within them to to make those positive changes. RuPaul's Drag Race or or whatever it may be, whatever inspiration we find in our life, um, it might ignite the spark, but the work is done by you. So, and I have to say, I remember, and I've said this in a couple interviews recently, as people have been asking me about you, um, I remember, I don't know if it was your sister or your sister-in-law um, who reached out to me at some point um, after season five just to say that you were just doing wonderfully, you were living your best life, um, that you were out meeting new people and um, really? celebrating really? life. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't remember who it was because, you know, it was quite a while ago, but I remember someone reached out to me to say what a positive impact that your experience on Drag Race um, was for you and how um, many, many positive changes came about for you after doing the show. And that just made me so happy because I, of course, um, you know, you shared a lot of your stories with me on season five, but I didn't, I didn't know anyone but the fun, um, 
the fun, cheerful, sweet, talkative Dave that we met on Drag Race. So to hear that it was such a shift for you, um, it just made me really happy. And it made me very, very grateful that we got paired together because you were exactly what I needed in that moment. And, you know, magic and fate, it all just works out so serendipitously sometimes that, you know, um, it was just a really, really wonderful experience for me. And I oftentimes say, I mean, anytime anyone asks, like, did you go to RuPaul's Drag Race on season five with the intention of winning? And I always say, no, I didn't really think about winning the whole show. I just wanted to work on each individual challenge. Like that was all I was there to do. And it was Dave on episode five who turned to me at some point and said, you got to win this thing. And I said, okay, Dave, I guess I'll go try to win the whole damn thing. So, <laughs> Yeah, I even got into a mix with the uh, other uh, veterans. They did a uh, untuck with us. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, all of the, they all said nicely that their queen's going to win. Their queen's going to win. <laughs> at one point I just said, look at, and I pointed to them all and said, Minx is going to win. And I'm not joking here. Uh, you fun, you, you, um, you know, one of the big memories I have of you is when we went on the stage as Judy and Liza. And it was the first time, people don't know, but the order was taped, uh, not the way you see it. Mm. The twirling stuff came after you and I did the jinx thing. And we were going up the stairs back there. And you turned around, I guess my mug was, was really good. You turned around, you leaned down to me, and your viewers don't know this, but you have a low voice. And you said, <laughs> wipe that fear off of your face and smile. <laughs> do you remember doing that? No. If I, if I... Um... It was good. Don't trust me. You scared the shit out of me. <laughs> If I, you know, I, um, I was so anxious every time I hit the runway because the runway was never my, my strong suit. So if I saw you going through anything that I could relate to, I probably just wanted you to have the same mantra or, or, or have some mantra in your mind that got you through, which is the, the runway is very nerve wracking yeah, because we have to walk down the runway twice. Um, we walk once with music and once without music. And we're, um, <laughs> you know, you, you just silently walking down the runway to a panel of judges is one of the most nerve-wracking aspects of Drag Race. And, you know, you had had difficulty earlier in the day um, with uh, practicing walking in the heels. And luckily, I had brought some, um, and you mentioned this in one of the interviews you did, but I had brought some... Um, little chunky kitten heels that I wore in my vaudeville show and um, they were perfect for you. Um, They They were serviceable. And we also held hands like the entire time we walked down the runway so that, you know, I wanted to make sure that you, you never worried about stumbling or anything. And if, and if you were to fall or anything, we would fall together and we'd make it a bit. (laughs) Right. Exactly. And that's what I was uh, focused on it i had enough experience as far as being in the in in a show or movie type situation to know that if something goes wrong you make it part of the the scene that's all you go with it (laughs) so after drag race um, season five with me, you ended up in the audience for the um, comedy challenge. And my sister, Ben de la Creme, was on oh. season six. Um, and during that comedy challenge, and of course, we know that editing plays a part in things. And I don't know if it's if it aired the way it really happened, but they showed a clip of you falling asleep during De La Set. <laughs> and I remember Dela um, um, telling me when we were watching that episode, she was like, um, Jinx, your veteran 
first heckled me and then fell asleep during my set or something. Um, and I was like, he must not have known you were my sister. He never would have done that. <laughs> I know, I know, it's so awful. But, uh, and, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but when you go on to that set, it's a crucible of stuff. And yeah. you get into a mindset that, oh, well, you have to perform. Yeah. So I went into that going, oh, wait a minute. I've got my sunglasses and I've got my cane. I might as well do a shtick. <laughs> as far as the yell out of tell us a joke, um, <laughs> it sounded mean, but I was trying to be helpful. <laughs> if she could have turned that around, she might have been able to save, because I don't know if you noticed, but she wasn't doing well. I, so, uh, yeah, I remember that that wasn't, a strong episode for her, but basically we don't worry about season six when it comes to Ben de la Creme because it's all about all stars three for her because she dominated all stars three. Um, so I, I remember her teasing me about it, but, um, you know, I, what I love about you is, um, all of season five, you know, many wonderful moments aired, but um, you really turn it on for the camera. <laughs> you are, uh, you're someone who loves the attention from I what do. I can tell. <laughs> yes, I do. I, I saw one of your interviews, not, you know, after the show, and uh, I could tell that you were making a little bit of a reference to my uh, penchant. For having the light, find your light. You know that's um that's that's TV and film one hundred and one. Find your light. Um, you also gave me many um very very sweet gifts on uh on season five. You gave me an erotic embroidered pillow, and you gave me a crystal butterfly. And um, if people go find um, I can't remember who the interview was with but you told the story of giving me the crystal butterfly because um uh the uh, the crystal that i had on my workstation um you brought in the crystal butterfly saying this is what you'll be at the end of this um journey uh, uh refined and sculpted and polished and um the it did have an influence on when i had the dress made for um the yeah. finale i had that dress covered in butterflies and i referred to the finale and that point on as as my butterfly era as in i i went into drag race rough around the edges and still had a lot to learn as far as um you know certain aspects of drag but um throughout the journey on drag race i really um started coming into my own and and then at the crowning i felt like that was like my debut as my butterfly self so you absolutely had a profound impact on me um it was you know, it was one of my favorite episodes because it was probably one of the most difficult. I'm not, <laughs> I don't pride myself on doing other people's makeup. I'm really only good at doing my own. And, <laughs> but we, we really had a great time together and so much positivity has come from that episode. So many people talk to me about, uh, about that episode and that being one of their favorite episodes. And it's really the episodes all about you, Dave, and you didn't even have to drop the Judy bomb. And that was just the cherry on top. And we don't have to spend any time talking about, no, <laughs> <please>. <laughs> but, um, I would like to hear about, um, you are an author. I would like to hear about the, the book that you wrote. Yeah. I wrote a small memoir of a part of my life, the military. Uh, it's called, uh, Zippo boys. And it's about how in getting into, uh, Vietnam, uh, I put together a group of gay friends. There were six of us. And we called ourselves the uh, Zippo Boys because we all had a uh, Zippo lighter. We called ourselves the group. I don't think you'll be able to see it, but we called ourselves the group. Yeah. We had it put on this. You can't see it. Put no, on I can see it. <clears throat> and um, 
So the book is about how gay men figured out how to survive in a war zone together, Mm -hmm. how to find each other. It wasn't hard. And so, yeah, I I hope that I wish, not just because, you know, in sales, (laughs) it's because I want them, I want young people to read about what it was like in those days to know the beginning of, of everything that they're experiencing now. Yeah. Um, the the young kids, God bless them. Like all young people, they're not that interested. But it's important because the world is still not perfect for us alphabet peoples. We are they're they're going to come after us. That that Supreme Court isn't finished with yeah. their uh, their agenda. It's starting with the abortion thing. Trust me, they're going to come after our marriages next. So you really need to know the history you need to know how we created community as an example the the psychiatric groups that were put together and the the AIDS crisis all of these things are important I hope to write more I'm right now finishing a novel Uh, I've been depressed during the the um, uh, lockdowns and all of that so I haven't finished finished it but it's almost Mm -hmm. done Uh, a book about the holocaust it's going to be called butterfly dream and um, I hope to get that out because that's also a history of gay existing in the um, in the camps being Jewish uh, during World War II. So, um, and then my last novel is going to be about an old man that lived a life that most people wouldn't believe. That even <laughs> online now, some people say, "Oh, he didn't know Judy Garland. He's not old enough." <laughs> I go, do I look that good? Anyway, <laughs> so uh, I hope, although I'm running out of time, I hope to uh, do that old man story that will, uh, you know, maybe not be the only one, but one which is really interesting because of the life that I've lived. Yeah. And, you know... Too- egotistical (laughs) it's your story you get to tell it however you want um i think it's you know i completely agree with you about um you know queer history is so important um it's it's this double-edged sword because in the on the one hand the progress that young people are benefiting from the progress that's been made and the the new comfort and ease with which some people are being able to live their truths in certain parts of the world you know we don't want that to be taken for granted but also if you try to remind them like hey we didn't have it as good as you you just sound like an, <laughs> you sound like any other old person like i used to have to walk to the store in the snow with no shoes to buy a candy bar for a nickel and um <laughs> but uh it is extremely important because, as you said, it, with with all the progress that's been made, there's always pushback. And we are seeing that now. And you're absolutely right that, like, it might be abortions now, but once once they make headway with one thing, if people think that, you know, like, if people think that abortion rights don't affect them, uh, whoever they are... Um, you have to understand that like these things it's like stepping stones one thing gets passed or or one thing gets banned and then they feel empowered to go for the next thing and the conservative right will always push back and it's our job to to educate ourselves in these tactics and the history of this you know, push and pull for for queer rights so that we are equipped to fight these battles in the future. And, you know, I want young people to be to be proud and 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 feel the privilege of the progress. I think that is a sign of progress that young people are able to feel so free and so unburdened by the past. But we also have to educate ourselves on the past so that we can see the signs when it happens again. And then we also have to recognize that there's still a lot of the world where it's not, it's, 
it, it, there is uh, there hasn't been progress made or not the kind of progress that maybe people in liberal parts of America get to experience. And mm-hmm. I always feel like until the world is at a place where every queer person, every trans person, every non-straight, cis, white male, um, until everyone is able to live their truth freely and safely, the work isn't done. So um, I'm glad that however you find your ways to tell your stories, whether it's on Drag Race, whether it's you being sassy on Wheel of Fortune, whether it's your your memoirs um, or, or the interviews that you do, I'm so glad that there are places for you to share your stories and your experiences. And, um, and I hope that y- you enjoy every moment of it because you seem to be enjoying it. <laughs> I, I still am. Why would you let me come on the, on your uh, podcast? It's uh, it, it's important because I think you're kind of unique in the drag world in that you have a, a, a certain amount of depth. Not to say that the other ones are shallow, but they're shallow as hell. So yeah, <laughs> you have a depth to you that actually reaches uh, people. Um, my next door neighbor girls three of them uh they go nuts for you and so oh. uh, yeah. Yeah. well i always girls. on the topic of queer history i always like to say that i'm just paying it forward because i didn't you know just magically you know nothing that i do um just came to me in a dream you know i i i started seeing drag shows at a at a young age i started doing drag at a young age and i i have learned so much from drag queens who who paved these paths for us to walk um long before I started drag. And then there's so many drag entertainers um, who are still at the top of their game um, and and have been doing amazing work for decades and who inspire the work that I do. And I love the opportunity to pay it forward to to younger queens and and to put the kind of work out into the world that inspired me in the first place. Um, And then, you know, I also like to think that drag queens, you know, because of so much of what we do is emulating our favorite female personas or our favorite um, female icons, um, or not just female icons. uh, That's that's my personal experience. But, you know, uh, drag entertainers um, encapsulate their favorite aspects of their culture, whatever culture they come from, queer culture, um, pop culture. We keep these little um, these little moments of culture and history alive through performance, you know. Good. And yeah. it's for me. I've always had you know the yen for old Hollywood. So I like to keep the names like Betty Davis and Judy Garland and Little Edie yeah. and Carol Burnett and Jaja um, Gabor, ja- <laughs> Queen of Outer Space. <laughs> when she turned to the other girls and says, I hate that clean. <laughs> I like Best to think, line ever. <laughs> I like to keep these names fresh in people's minds so that um, they can hopefully find the kind of joy and inspiration that I found from, from you know, people who have inspired me. Lucille Ball, Madeline Kahn, the list goes on and on. Um, Dave... I'm so glad. You know, it's been so long since we've gotten to talk, and now we are in contact again. And I hope to just keep checking in with you. And um, if you ever need uh, me to uh, bark, uh, wipe that fear off your face and smile (laughs) while you're working on your books or or anything, um, I'll be here for you. I do have some compulsory questions that I ask every guest. You okay. are free to answer them however you like. Okay. Um, the first question is, who is your celebrity crush? It would have to be Van Johnson. Is that his name? Well, he was a gay actor. Uh, did a lot of war movies um, in the 40s. And 50s, mm-hmm. uh, tough guy, 
I think he was linked up with Elizabeth Taylor once or something like that. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Van Johnson. Okay. Um, I, 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 yeah, he's he's my um, my real crush. Not Tad <laughs> Hunter. I've seen him. No, Van Johnson is the guy that I have my crush on. Look um, him up. You'll see. At this point in your life, do you enjoy watching films about um, the military or the war, or is that something you avoid? I did for a long time, but no, I'll, I'll watch them. Although, no, you're correct. I, if it gets too much, um, yeah. I, I have to walk. I did walk out of a, a theater. can't remember the name of the movie, but I had to leave. So, no, I, I, I've always said that my PTSD is in control. It's not gone. Yeah. And I will get, I hate the word, but it's apt, triggered uh, if I see so much. But give me a happy one and I'll definitely watch them, you know, when they do the, the show with the coconut tits and the grass skirt. <laughs> I'm all, all over that because that was my experience in the military. I got to see that stuff and it was fun. Yeah, I think, um, I think you know, uh, what, what you're talking about and uh, it's funny because I, I feel like I was raised to and also it's just kind of a mentality that's um, taught to us of not letting your fears dominate you so you feel you feel like if you are truly over something you should be able to like not let anything affect you and I think the better conversation we're having now is about drawing boundaries for ourselves and yeah. knowing ourselves well enough to know I need to just not even walk that line because there's no reason to put myself through that. Mm-hmm. And so it's not a it's not an issue of conquering your fears. It sounds like you've done the work on yourself and you just don't um you know like I have plenty of things that I just avoid because I'm like I don't need to be put through that experience again. Yeah. I mean, I know that I can come out of it. I know that I'll be okay. But if I have the choice of not putting myself through that that experience or having to have that moment, you know, then you're better. Um, you're better off. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> um, my next question for you is: Are you spiritual? No, I have no spiritual inclinations, no religious, no higher power, um, and I miss everything that that gives people. Mm-hmm. I wish I was. But to be honest, I am not. Uh, my my reality, as far as from being a very young baby, knowing, or, you know, five years old, knowing who I was and all the things that happened in that entire life, has totally made me cold to that. It's a sad reality, and I wish I could make light of it. Uh, I don't know if your joke, your questions are meant to invoke jokes or not. Oh no, you answer. But on this one, I can't. I, I just can't. Uh, I live my life as an honorable and good person, because I want to do that. Mm-hmm. And I do that. Mm-hmm. I take care of people. And that's what I do. I um, absolutely have no interest in, in any organized religion. Um, I, I, I just feel like I, I see too much and know too much to um, put any stock in any organized religion. What I will say, and I think you already know this about me, is that I do practice witchcraft, which I just say is is a supplement to therapy because so much of what I practice in witchcraft is is therapeutic and... Um, also, it's, you know, it's more of a philosophy and it's a more of a way that I choose to like see the world and see myself and, and, and see life, but it's not connected to any religion. Um, but, um, you know, I, I, I hope that because you say you, you wish you could, um, I hope that, you know, it doesn't, I hope that you find something that kind of feels it gives you the feeling that I think you're talking about missing but I don't think it needs to be a higher power or a spiritual thing because it sounds like what you find is inspiration in the real world and inspiration in your life and that can be just as significant and powerful the only reason we think that there's something we're missing out on with religion or spirituality is because that's what we were told you know, for such a long time. So I think you're doing it right. 
if it's working for you and you're loving your life, then then that's all that matters. <laughs> um, my final question for you is, what is your go-to karaoke song? Windy? I'm not familiar with that song. <laughs> yeah, no, Windy. I think Windy would be my go-to song. I can't sing it. Don't ask me. Because <laughs> right now I've even forgotten how it goes. But it's... Uh, yeah, look it up. It's windy. Uh, it very popular in the sixties. It was about a breezy girl that would uh, just go down the street. You could always tell it's windy. You know. So, <laughs> oh, uh, da 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 Everyone knows it's windy. It's windy. <laughs> yeah, that's, 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 you know, you know. So that's my go-to if I did karaoke. Yeah. Uh, the only times that I've ever done karaoke is I do sign language because mm. I can't sing or, or do any of that uh, good enough to even uh, put myself through that. So I sign language songs. Uh, I used to, at least, when I was really good at it. Oh, that's lovely. Um, will you remind everyone, um, your book is Zippo Boys. Right. Um, where would they be able to find it? Amazon. Amazon. <laughs> they, they ruined the world, by the way. But yeah, yeah, Amazon. Yeah. Well, I hope everyone um gets a chance to read your book. Um, you can find if you if you Google Dave Lara, you'll be able to see some of the interviews he's done recently. And you know, um, let me. Uh, you've already answered these questions in interviews, but here I am. Here you are. When you saw the shout out, what was your initial reaction? <laughs> You're gonna get me arrested! Oh my god! I get a tool in Jinx's basket of stuff. She'll throw an old man under the bus if she has to to get a laugh. Oh my god! That was my reaction. <laughs> if if you hadn't said it first, I wouldn't have felt comfortable <laughs> making the joke. But also, I I don't know. Um, I cannot remember if it aired, but I remember RuPaul giving you some um, words of of relief um, when you said that to her, saying, you know. I think her words were, uh, she was already at such a rough place in her life. And if it hadn't been you, it could have been something else, you know. And I think Rue really wanted you to let go of any any lingering guilt or anxiety you had around that. And in it my... It was a longer <laughs> conversation. And for a lot of people think that I was still struggling with, with that uh, guilt. Uh, actually, it was put to rest then. Uh, when Rue talked to me, I had already given up and I, I went to the uh, the Mobius or whatever his name was, uh, concept of blue pill, red pill, and you make a decision. And, and that's that's where I was at after talking to RuPaul that day on the set. Yeah. Drag race can be very cathartic. Yeah. Um, and so I'll tell you, I had that joke in my mind and I said, I'm only going to do it if it feels right in the moment. And everything was going so well. I was like, you know, and I think I talked to friends about it beforehand. I was like, if I bring this up, do you think it will be received well? And do you think Dave would like it? Or do you think uh, I should just leave it well enough alone? And I think some friends were like, if anything, you'll just be confirming the things that Rue had already said to Dave. And... Um, I was just happy that your name got in um, articles and interviews again. And I read one of the sweetest responses from you <laughs> that you went to um, that you went to DragCon and you were recognized and people were um, reaching nice. out and talking about you. And you said, for someone like me, that's going viral. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 100 people recognize me now. That's going viral. Yeah. <laughs> uh, one of the things that um, I was going to say to you that I can't remember now. Anyway, I'm getting very old, but <laughs> I'm still here. 
I'm still here. That can be your next karaoke song. I'm still here. Do the I'm Elaine Stritch here. version. Yeah. Really? <laughs> well, Dave, thank you so much for being my guest today. It's been so lovely catching up with you. And you. I just, I'm wishing you all the very, very best. Um, I'm, I'm so glad you're having fun with everything. I'm so glad Drag Race was a positive experience for you. And thank you for lighting the fire under me um, in, the, in the last few episodes. You did it yourself. Remember, you did <laughs> well, thank you for starting for igniting the spark, and um, I just really appreciate you. And I, I'm just sending you all my love, all the love that can transfer from my computer to yours through the fiber optic network. <laughs> and we'll know each other and communicate up here in that world. That we're in right now. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Dave. You're welcome. And thank you all so much for listening to Hi Jinx here on the Forever Dog and Moguls of Media Network. My name is Jinx Monsoon, and we have new episodes every Wednesday, so make sure. <laughs> My name is Jinx Monsoon, and we have new episodes every Wednesday, so make sure to search for Hi Jinx on your favorite podcast app and hit subscribe. You can follow me at the Jinx on Instagram or at Jinx Monsoon everywhere else. And I'll see you next Wednesday for some more. Hi, Jinx! M. Oh. M. Mom! To listen to Hi, Jinx! One day early and ad-free, sign up for Mom Plus at mompodcasts.plus. Hi, Jinx is produced by Moguls of Media, a.k.a. Mom, hosted by me, Jinx Monsoon, and produced by Joseph Shepard. Editing and sound design by Will Pitts. Executive produced by Willem Belli, Alaska Thunderfuck, Big Dipper, and Joe Cilio.